There, there's a lot that could be spoken about in this gospel passage uh, from Matthew chapter 2. But as I mentioned at the beginning of Mass, I just want to point out a couple of things that um, I think caught my attention this week as I was preparing. Things that, um, because the passage can be so familiar, we can easily miss. Uh, and maybe, hopefully, as you were hearing it read yourself, proclaimed yourself, uh, you caught some things. Uh, or maybe, maybe it, it hit home in a new way. Uh, the first thing I noticed uh, was this. The little drummer boy didn't make it. It's really sad, right? Like, why didn't the drummer boy get written into the gospel? That's the first thing I noticed. The second thing was, was this. We, when we talk about the Magi, we refer to them as the three wise men, as the three kings, the three Magi. But Matthew doesn't mention a number. And as I uh, was studying this this morning, actually, that there are some Christian traditions that actually provide more kings, more magi than just three. Some people say that there were 12 magi, 12 kings. So I just found that interesting uh, that, that we, I mean, we associate the three, right, with the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we say that each one, you know, brought one gift. Uh, but maybe in a, in, a, in a, what could have happened, right, was that maybe they pooled their resources or something. Or maybe some of them just, they came and they didn't want to bring a gift. They just wanted to see Jesus. They just wanted to see this newborn king of the Jews. So I thought that was fascinating uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that it's, it's something that we just sort of take for granted, that there are three wise men. Right, we, we sang, uh, or we will sing this song. Maybe that was, I don't remember what the opening song was, but we, we sing this, right? We three kings, right? Uh, we, we talk about this. And um, we, just, we take it for granted. But here, Matthew is, like, he's unclear about how many, right? So how many times when we think about things in the Bible, we add our own details, or we make our own inferences about things, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? It's not bad that we say there are three kings, it's not problematic at all. But sometimes I think when we read the Bible, uh, or when we don't read the Bible maybe rather, and we think of stories from the Bible, we sort of add our own little details in. Um, sometimes when we, read, uh, when we do read the Bible and we read God saying something, sometimes we might add in the tone that we presume that he has, which can sometimes actually sometimes be problematic. Right? Because then we start to say, well, this is what the Bible says. When in fact, the Bible actually might say something completely different. So I just think that's, that's really fascinating. And I think it's, it could be an area, again, like I said, in this case, it's not problematic at all. But it could be an area that could become problematic. And so it's just something worth our attention to, to maybe ask the question, are there, are there places in my life, in my faith with Jesus, in my understanding of the Bible, in my understanding of what the church teaches, that I've just sort of begun to add in my own details. And maybe I actually need to go back to the source and read it to find out that maybe I'm actually wrong about some things. Maybe I've just sort of added stuff in that I presume that I know. So I just think that's fascinating. The second, or another thing that caught my attention is, is along similar lines, right? So it says that when they got to Bethlehem, what did they do? They went into the house and they saw Jesus with his mother. 
the house. Right, so when, again, when we set up our nativity scenes, we put the three wise men in the stable or in the cave. But it's, it's interesting that uh, Matthew here uses a house, and then a few verses later in verse 16, which we didn't get, uh, Herod realizes that the Magi have gone back to their country by another, another way. They're not actually going to come back and tell him where, where the child is. And so in a fury and a rage, because he's jealous of this king, he has all of the children put to death. How old? Two years old and younger. Right? So this is another fascinating thing, right? That that actually, we don't know how old Jesus was at the time the Magi visited, but a lot, a lot, a lot of Christians throughout history take it for granted that a good chunk of time has passed from the birth of Jesus to the visit of the Magi. Some people suggesting that it was actually as much as two years had passed. So that it's, it's no longer Jesus as a newborn baby that they're worshiping, but now it's like Jesus has a toddler. Which again, I, I, think, I think I really like that because what it does is this, right? We can, when we read the Bible, we can read it as though it's just words on a page. But I think what God wants us to do, and I'm becoming more convinced of this, is to use our imagination to almost like enter into the story in the same way that when we're watching a good movie, it's... It's something that we can enter into so that when there are intense moments in this movie, our bodies grow tense. When there are scary moments, right, we jump. Or when there's really joyful moments or funny moments, we laugh. Right, in the same way, when we read the word of God, I am convinced of this, that God wants us to use our imaginations so that we can enter into the story in a deeper way. And so what I love about this idea of the story sort of developing from Jesus being born as an infant in a cave surrounded by animals, and then the story kind of having a gap of development for a year or two, and then the, the Magi coming, right? You can allow your imagination to think about or to consider, what was that like for those first two years? For Mary and Joseph to, to raise Jesus, to imagine, like, what were his first words like? What was it like watching him take his first steps? Right, there's just something, to me, there's something really nice about allowing the story to develop instead of it being, like, all at one time where, you know, it's like Jesus is born and then the Magi come and then the shepherds come and, like, everything is happening so quickly. Instead, there's just something nice about letting it take time to develop slowly so that our minds can really let the word sink in and hopefully even let the image sink in. That Jesus, the God baby, grew up and developed physically and even mentally in many ways. I think that's a really cool thing. Okay, so now this is, this is the, the point where, where to me it's like, okay, I stop reading the passage and then I just sort of reflect on the passage itself, and I, I, I ask the question. This is the question that's been sticking with me. How did the Magi know to come? Right now it says, that, it says they saw his star, and so they came, but how did they even know that the star had any significance? Why were they even looking at the sky? 
Right, and, and like the, the world is pretty big, so when you see a star in the sky, it's like, okay, I know I can go in this general direction if I'm convinced that I need to follow this, but how did they know they needed to go to Jerusalem? Right, like what's, and this I think is where, where Jesus uh, can really help us actually in, in the Bible. Um, this, this time when Jesus is speaking in John chapter six, He's having a really controversial discussion uh, with a whole group of people who are following him. Some are sincere in their following of him. Some are just curious in their following of him and kind of everything in between. He's talking to them about their, the need that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And there's this, this big controversy. There's, there's tension in there. And Jesus, uh, sort of before he gets to the most heated moment, he has this line in John chapter 6, verse 44, where he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right, so Jesus is speaking of a much bigger reality than just like fine details. The fine details are important, but Jesus here is speaking of a reality that God the Father is ultimately in charge of everything, which I, th I think is, is really important for us because a lot of times when we talk about God, when we talk about the Father, when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we can tend to think of them in today's world as these sort of like distant people, distant beings who have no real significant impact on our lives in any way. In some ways, in a lot of ways, maybe we can relate to Jesus the most because he took on our human flesh and so it's, it's easy to imagine him. But when we think of the Father and the Holy Spirit, it's just this sort of like abstract idea of these other beings sort of floating in the sky. But what Jesus is getting at here is that actually God the Father is intensely present to those whom he loves. He's actually intensely present to those that he has sent Jesus to rescue. He actually wants us to come to Jesus, to be drawn to Jesus so that we can encounter him and recognize in him the divinity, to recognize in him that he is worthy of our worship. And so I just love this, this image of, of these, these people in the East who have no business even knowing what's going on in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. They have no business. But these people way out here, and they just sort of like, the Lord is guiding their actions. He's guiding maybe their study. Maybe somehow they got a hold of some scriptures. Or he's guiding even just like, look up in the sky right now. And they see the star and something catches their attention about it. He's guiding their decision. Like, I just love this idea so that these people way over here suddenly feel convicted. And maybe, not, maybe they don't even know why, but there's something about it that they're just like, I, I gotta go. I, I have to go and encounter this baby. And maybe they didn't even understand, or maybe they did. Who knows? But they're being drawn to Jesus. I love this, this image of being drawn to Jesus, the Word of God made flesh. And really, it's, it's the same thing for us, you guys. It's that, that the Father, in the ways that He guides us, in the ways that He guides our minds, in the ways that He guides our hearts, in the ways that He guides our decisions, everything about our lives, He guides us 
with the intention in his mind of drawing us to Jesus. Of wanting us to approach Jesus, to draw near, to encounter him in such a way that we recognize his divinity and we lay down before him to worship him, to honor him, to give him our most precious and valuable resources. This is what he wants for us. The trick is, is this, that God gave us free will, right? These magi, they, it's, it's plausible that they could have been inspired to travel to visit Jesus. And at the same time as they were inspired by it, they could have said, not really interested. They could have said, yeah, but I'm so comfortable here with my wealth and my resources. And if they were kings in my kingship, they could have stayed. And it's the same for us, that the Father is drawing us. He's constantly inviting us and guiding us to draw near to Jesus. And many of us, sometimes myself, sometimes all of us, sometimes people do this constantly. We just sort of make the decision to say, I'm, I'm really comfortable right here. I don't think I want to draw near to Jesus, right? We have to actually make that decision to say, the Father is drawing me, and so I want to be drawn. He is drawing me. Yes, and maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe I have to make sacrifices. Maybe I have to leave some of my own ideas behind, but I, I gotta go. got to go and be with Jesus. Because I know that when I encounter Jesus, that's the kind of thing that changes everything. Right, this line at the end, right? Uh, the, the Magi departed for their country by another way. Matthew is referring, of course, to another way physically besides ben- going back to Herod. But I just love, again, this image of when we encounter Jesus, we leave him changed, different, So that when I approach Jesus, when I am drawn to him by the Father, I come with baggage. I come with sinful tendencies. I come with wounds. I come with my own ideas. But when I encounter him and see him for who he is, I depart a changed man. I go and I live my life differently. And this is what happens when people come to draw near to Jesus, to let themselves be drawn by the Father to encounter Jesus, they depart different and changed in the best possible way. And this is what the Father wants to do for us. He wants to heal us. He wants to bring us grace so that we can repent. He wants to change us in the best possible way. But but he can't do that, you guys. He can't do it if we resist his invitation, if we resist his drawing, if we resist his commands. And so I think just just to finish, we're just going to say a prayer and ask the Lord to give us the grace, to, to give us maybe a fresh invitation to draw near to him. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the gift, the incredible gift of sending your son, Jesus, the Word made flesh. We thank you for the countless gifts you have given to us in our lives.
We come to you this morning with open minds, with open hearts, and with open hands. We beg you, Father, to draw us to your Son, Jesus. Draw us to the Word of God. We pray, Father, that you would remove from us any obstacles, anything that is keeping us from letting ourselves be drawn. Remove from us, Father, any stubbornness, any resistance, any hard-heartedness. Remove from us, Father, any wounds, any insistences on our own ways. Remove from us ignorance. Remove from us laziness. Remove from us an excessive love of pleasure and comfort. Remove all of these things from us so that as you draw us and invite us, we will respond like sheep, like lambs before you, ready to go wherever you tell us to go, ready to do whatever you tell us to do, ready to follow wherever you lead. We thank you for your patience, and we pray, Father, that you would never give up on us, that you would constantly invite us, constantly fill us with your presence, and constantly guide every single aspect of our lives so that we too can come and encounter Jesus and lay before him prostrate, worshiping the word made flesh and giving him our most costliest treasure, which is our entire life. Amen.